Our scripture reading this morning is from uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 6. It's noteworthy that, uh, that John, in his Gospel, uh, records seven miracles of Jesus, eight including the resurrection. And most of them take place in the first few chapters of his book. Uh, then he moves on to the a long, long discussion and description of Jesus' uh, death, uh, his, his Passion Week, his death, and his resurrection. We're going to read about a miracle that um, is included, and this is the only miracle in Scripture that is included on all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the feeding of the 5,000, and that's the only one they all record. Uh, John records the fewest of the miracles, and uh, this one is... Um, one of them he does record from the other ones as well. What we're going to do is I, I want you to, as we read this story, this account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, look for little facts that you find in it that you say, well, wonder why John included that. A little things that seem sort of irrelevant to the story. And uh, I'll note one of them in the first verse we see uh, that, that John calls the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias. We have to ask ourselves, why? Why would he do that? That was not what it was called. But let's, let's read this, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15, and then verses 35 to 40. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him, and here they give the reason why, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. It's another little fact that we need to think about. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. More than a bite. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, and let me just go back to that. Um, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated. Those are sort of familiar words, aren't they, to, uh, to us. We celebrate communion. Those are the same words that are used here. We're going to talk about that. Uh, verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into this world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And then um, we see Jesus walking on water, and then we uh, have, been, have a discussion about being the bread of life. And then verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one, him who sent me, that I lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son of Man and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. People of God, how long do you think you will live? Now in Canada, I, I looked up the statistic, and it, it tells us the average age of a Canadian is 81.9 years. So you can figure out how much you have time left. Uh, that means that some of the children born today uh, will see the turn of the millennium. Uh, not many of them, the, the ones that are older probably won't, but some of them will. Some of them, maybe more than we think, some of us won't. Most of us sitting here won't. Uh, what is our life expectancy? And that, that's a good question, isn't it? How long will we live? 81.9 years, according to the statistics. As Christians, though, we, we don't say that. We say something different. As Christians, we say that, uh, that life is infinite. Life is eternal. It doesn't end. There will be no end to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And we can try to find the average, but if you take infinity and add it all together, a whole bunch of them, which what all Christians will live, and then divide by the number of Christians, you still have infinity. Infinity plus infinity plus infinity divided by three is still infinity. You can't change that. We're looking at a miracle today of Jesus, and you might ask me, well, what does this have to do with, with life? Well, let's have a look at this uh, miracle and, and see what John is telling us. And I want to first point out some of these little details that John gives to us. And as John tells a story, uh, he doesn't just add details as, as filler. He's not like a student trying to make, write an essay to, to please his teacher with 2,000 words and got to add a few sentences that don't matter. No, everything that John puts in is important. And he wants us to think about it. He could have written, written a lot more. He says, no, I've got to cut it down, he says at the end of the book. And, and he calls these miracles signs. And the first thing that John does is he tells us where Jesus was. He says he's by the Sea of Galilee, and then he goes on to say, well, that is the same thing as the Sea of Tiberias. Now, anybody listening to John at that time would say, why did you call it the Sea of Tiberias? It's not Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias was a city on the Sea of Galilee. It was a relatively new city. It had only been named that a few years earlier, maybe not even a decade, after Emperor Tiberius, who was the emperor at that time, the time that Jesus lived. And they named the Sea of Galilee after him, but nobody called it that. It was a name change, but nobody wanted to call it the Sea of Tiberias. And so, but John does. He calls it the Sea of Tiberias. Another thing that John tells us is that it was nearing the time of the Passover. Now we say, okay, well, that's good. Now, does that mean that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem after this? It never develops. He doesn't develop that information. He just tells us nearing the time of the Passover. We say, okay, and what are you going to do with that? Now, of course, as we um, think about that, the Sea of Tiberias, Romans, and Passover, and start to think about them together, we start to get a bit of an idea of what John is doing. Let's remember what the Passover was about. The Passover had been celebrated <clears throat> for about 1,300 years, maybe a little more, by the time Jesus walked on this earth. It was a time to remember that the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, <clears throat> that they had, <clears throat> excuse me, that they were, uh, that they were, under terrible duress. And then God said to him, tomorrow you're going to leave Egypt and to, to celebrate and anticipate that leaving, I want you to take a lamb, I want you to kill the lamb, put the blood on the door to post to escape the plague that's coming and, and then roast the lamb and eat it and I want you to do that every year afterward to remember your salvation. And so the Passover, by the time Jesus is celebrating it, is a time uh, when they remembered their freedom from slavery, freedom from oppression, freedom from Egypt. They remember their salvation. 
And John mentions that it's the time of the Passover, and then he also says, oh, right there is Tiberias, the city. This is the Sea of Tiberias. And the Jews who are listening, and the Jews who are thinking about it, and maybe the Sea of Tiberias, good chance it was, it was or the city of Tiberias was, was visible from where they were sitting. Uh, the people are thinking, yeah, you know, we, we celebrate the Passover. And here we have these Romans. And these Romans have occupied our land. And we're not slaves to the Romans, but they sure make our life miserable. We can't do whatever we want. We have to pay huge taxes. We have to do work for them without pay. Uh, At times you suffered terrible persecution under the hands of the Romans. Many, many people were killed by the Romans in, in the years past. And they're longing to be free. So maybe as John mentions these two little things, the Sea of Tiberias, the name Tiberias, Roman, and the Passover, people are thinking... What we need to be is set free. We need that freedom. And that's further supported by what the people do after Jesus performs this miracle. Jesus performs this miracle. He gives them food in this this deserted place. And they want him to become king. And they try to force him to become king. They compel him to become king. He doesn't want to be king, but they're going to make him king anyway. Now, we remember another time that that sort of happened in Scripture. There was a man named Saul. He lived a long time before, before David actually, Jesus' ancestor. And, and he was, uh, the people wanted a king. They were being oppressed by the Philistines. They, they didn't like it. They wanted a king to lead them in battle. They wanted somebody who was a true leader, a, a general, somebody that people could gather people around. And Saul was sort of a reluctant king. In fact, he hid. It's sort of the same repetition of this. And what it seems that the people want from Jesus is they want this miracle worker, this person that can do healings, to to be their king, to lead them against Roman oppression, to bring them freedom from slavery, and once again, just like the Passover celebrated. Of course, Jesus wouldn't be made king. He didn't want that. And then we read also that they see that Jesus is a prophet. They said, surely this is the prophet who has come into this world. Now, again, this goes back to the Old Testament. You have to understand the Old Testament, what the people were thinking. They've already thought, John's already mentioned Tiberius, Rome, Passover, freedom, king, to lead us. And then he talks about a prophet. Now, this goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and there's other passages that mention the coming of a prophet. And of course, the first prophet was Moses. And Moses comes upon the scene, leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, and while they're in the wilderness, he provides them with manna. Well, God did, but it was through Moses that they were provided. And and they said Moses provided the people with manna, and there was the expectation that God would send another prophet one day who would provide people with food, and they say, Jesus must be the one. He must be the one who's the fulfillment of that prophetic word of the Old Testament. He provides food just like Moses did. He must be the one that God is promising. He can be our king. He's that prophet. He's going to lead us out of oppression to slavery. He provides food. Now, as as John tells the story, he puts these little clues in it. So let's think about what is going on here. What are the people wanting? What has Jesus come to do? But as, as John tells the story, he begins to show us who Jesus really is and what he really came to do. The people have come to see Jesus. They're intrigued, more than intrigued. They don't want to just see this this guy who's preaching and in the wilderness and, and, and around the Sea of Galilee. They're bringing their sick to him. They're desperate. 
for, for a change in their lives. And Jesus has been healing, and, and they come to see him heal, and they come to bring their sick. And, and Jesus then escapes from them and goes across Galilee, around the, the shore, leaves the shore of Galilee, climbs up a, a hill or a mountain that's near there, and, and he sits down. And all the people follow him. Just imagine, the hills around Galilee aren't, aren't mountains. They're, they're just big hills. And they're, they're sloped, and, and we can see these people coming up that hill. And eventually you look at the side of the hill, and it's just covered 5,000 people they've counted. And they're all there. It's nearing the end of the day. And, and Jesus says to Philip, Philip who's from the area, Philip, well, where's the grocery stores at? Where can we buy food? Philip should know. Philip says, well, I'm not going to answer that question because it doesn't help. We don't have enough money. 5,000 people? If, if, every, if I gave up 200 days of, of full-time work, that would only buy enough food to feed each, each person just a small bite. We just don't have the food. And Jesus asked the question, not because he really wants to know, the Bible says, but he already knew what he's going to do, but he creates this sense of insufficiency. Here we are in this place, there's no food, there's no grocery stores, there's no money. How are we going to feed these people? Almost like when the Israelites were in the wilderness and there they're wandering around and, and they're, they're, they're starving to death or they feel they are, there's no food and they're worried about what's going to happen next. And, and Moses provides. And so Jesus is saying, so, so what about this food? It's kind of like the wilderness, isn't it? Now Andrew realizes the problem. He says, well, maybe people have food. Maybe there's enough food in this, uh, this crowd that we can take it all out and share it and we might be okay. And, and it seems his... his Work is rather unsuccessful. A few years ago, I, I think many have heard a sermon about this uh, same miracle, and the one who was preaching wasn't me. He said that the miracle was that people shared. And, and, and uh, you'll read this from time to time in commentaries. The real miracle was that people shared. But we know it wasn't because Andrew's been looking around for food, and there isn't any. Oh, well, except these five little loaves and two fish from this little boy who lived just over there. And he said, Mom, can I go see what's going on? And she says, yeah, take some lunch. I'll take some supper with you. And he said, we just, we just don't have enough food. And Jesus says, I'll have the people sit down. Now, of course, um, food is important, isn't it? Uh, when you have a group of people and you have food, it becomes a party. If you don't have food, it's a meeting. It's a really big difference. Uh, they, we're going to have a party. Food, food gives life. And these people then didn't have that food. They didn't have that life. And so Jesus gives them life by he takes that, that, those five loaves and he divides them up and he keeps sending them out and they, they bring them out and feed, feed the people the disciples do and then he does the same with the fish and when they're all done <clears throat> the disciples gather the food and there's 12 baskets number of completeness it's enough more than enough and in this miracle then we see that, that there's more going on than just the manna remember the manna in the wilderness where, where God provided it and it was just enough for every day you go out and collect it you have enough and, and the next day you collect it you have enough and you didn't have too much you didn't have too little and now there's too much. This, this, this miracle is overflowing. God's providing. Jesus is providing. And, and we see that, that Jesus is bigger than Moses. He's bigger than the prophet. He's, 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 something else is going on here. And right in the center of the miracle, as John tells it, he tells us what's going on. And by the time that John wrote this gospel... Um, the church had been around for a while, decades actually. And the church had, had remembered Jesus' Last Supper and they were celebrating communion. And we know the words that they were using from Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says, take, eat, remember, and believe. And Jesus took the bread and he, he broke it and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. 
And John says, let me pick up those words. And he uses identical words. And anybody reading this story or hearing this story as a church later on would immediately recognize that John saw something about this miracle. That Jesus is providing life. It's something to do with communion. And in fact, just a little later, Jesus talks about that very thing. The disciples are gathered there with him and, and he's saying, I'm the bread of life. And we know that refers to the fact that he's going to give up his body for them. That he's going to die on the cross for them. We know that now. The disciples didn't fully understand it then. But we know that now that, that he is going to give eternal life. And Jesus says, anyone who looks to me will have eternal life. And when we put our faith in him, we get gain exactly that. That we gain this life that doesn't end. A life that is beautiful. And if we believe in Jesus, we have that already. We talk about how long people live on average, 81.9 years. For a Christian, that number is irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Now, our life on the earth comes to the end. It does. And whatever I age I am now, uh, 81.9 minus that is the number of years probably I'll live yet here. But we have eternal life. And that's what Jesus wants to say to those who are following him. Look, you want me to be another Saul. You want me to, to go to these Romans and, and kick them out. You want me to be your king. You're looking to me as a prophet who provides you with food in the wilderness. You want all of these things. And John says, but that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to give freedom from Roman oppression. At least not yet. He came to give something far better, far more important. He came to give eternal life. And we, we really can think about that and ask the question, why is that important? It'd be nice to um, have all of our problems taken away, wouldn't it? Maybe some of us have a little bit of financial pressure. It'd be great if Jesus would give us more money. I wouldn't mind that. We can always use a little more. It'd be great if Jesus would take away that... that health problem that we have or take away death that'd be nice but that's not why he came he came to give life and life in abundance not just enough for today but enough for eternity the 12 baskets afterward and when we celebrate communion and we do that from time to time we celebrate uh, communion and we remember what Jesus did but we also look forward to what he is going to do that we have eternal life the feeding of the 5,000 is sort of like a foreshadowing of communion. A remembrance of Passover. Of saying, this is why I came. And when we look forward to what Jesus is providing us, that eternal life, that after 81.9 years of life on this earth, we die. And we don't die forever, but we die into the hands of Jesus. And we have that eternal life. And it's life beyond what we can imagine. It's better, more bountiful, more beautiful than any other thing. So as we look at Jesus, we see his power to, to create, to give bread. But this miracle is not about getting stuff from Jesus. This miracle is about Jesus giving us and offering us life eternal, in abundance, to its full. Our life expectancy is forever. It's not 81.9 years. It's eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. Please join me in prayer.
Father, we thank you for eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us um, that through Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, that his body is the bread, his blood is the, the blood, it is the wine. We celebrate in that communion and we, we're reminded of the bounty and the abundance and the, the awesomeness of what you have done for us. Lord, sometimes we can become a little petty and we want just those things that will fulfill us now and we need them, Lord. We turn to you for them regularly. But what we see that we really need is life eternal. So thank you that you've given to that to us. Thank you that, that our years don't come to an end after 81.9 or whatever it is that you give to us, but that they end, never end, because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that great gift. And we pray that you would uh, remind us of that daily, that in times of, of weakness or doubt, we may again see what you did on that mountainside in Galilee. Now you gave bread to the people there, and you give us eternal life here. We pray this in his name. Amen.